monsters, madness, and magic, you say? Hmm. Shouldn't be a problem. Don't work for free, though. Let's go, Roach. Monsters, madness, and magic. When a humble bar graced a ride along with Geralt of Rivia, along came this song. When the white wolf fought a silver-tongued devil, his army of elves at his hooves did they revel. They came after me with masterful deceit, broke down my loot, and they kicked in my teeth. While the devil's horns minced our tender meat, and so cried the witcher, he can't be bleed Toss a coin to your witcher O oh, valley of plenty O oh, valley of plenty oh. Toss a coin to your witcher O oh, valley of plenty Welcome to the Monsters, Madness, and Magic podcast. I'm Justin, joined by my co-host Daniel and Mitch. And this afternoon, we have quite the special guest with us, the Butcher of Blaviken, the White Wolf, the Witcher himself, Mr. Doug Cockle. Doug, how the hell are you? I'm all right. Thank you very much. Hello, everybody. Hello. So, Doug, what was your eureka moment? Uh, when did you get, by, get bitten by the acting bug and decide to take the plunge? Oh, wow. Okay. Um, well... My mom, she's, she's passed now, but she used to always say uh, that I was an actor from birth. Um, I don't know how true that is, but I, I did always like showing off and, and doing stuff. So, yeah, uh, I think where I, really, where I really got bit, I mean, I, I always did stuff. Me and my sister used to put on shows for my parents and things, you know, um, lip syncing and dancing to music on a record player and, you know, stuff like that. Um, I think I was always kind of interested in it. Uh, high school is where I started really getting into it, though. I started taking drama classes, stuff like that. But uh, I never really thought of it as a career until later. Um, I think there are a lot of experiences that led up to this decision. But when I, I was entering my sophomore year of, of college um, at Virginia Tech, I did a year in community college, and then I transferred to Virginia Tech. And I transferred in as a pre-medicine biology. I was going to be a doctor. That wow. was my big idea. But I didn't do so well in chemistry, and um, all my friends were artists. And I just kind of had this this summer before I went to, to Virginia Tech, where I, I uh, just started asking myself, you know, what I really wanted. Um, and, I, and I started trying to look ahead. I, I tried to look ahead five years, 10 years, 20 years, where did I see myself? And in none of the None of the visions for my future that I had did I see myself writing prescriptions or working in a white lab coat. <laughs> so I started look, you know, asking myself what I really liked and stuff. And uh, uh, yeah, just kind of, it was like a, yeah, it was like a eureka moment. It was, um, it was a, you know what, I'm doing the wrong thing. Yeah. So I changed my major, went, went and talked to the head of the department, changed my major and never looked back. How was, uh, I, I noticed in now the ever reliable IMD, I, say that kind of sleep but it like yeah. your, your first credit is runescape so yeah no that's how did that occur that that is completely false that is Aha! way <laughs> wrong yeah no i did runescape um three years ago maybe i wow. played a character named solak a big big tree god kind of guy right um, gotcha. but uh i think the reason it does that on imdb is because um what, what does it say for the year? Something like 1984 or something like that? It says 2001, and that's why that's I was what asking, because if you're given a timeline, I was going <laughs> to, my lead up to this was just like, so what was your first gig? You know? Yeah, well, it wasn't that. <laughs> <laughs> no, I think, I think that's when, I think 2001 might be when RuneScape uh, was first put on ah, or, or when yeah. it launched or something that's, like that. That so, sounds right. Looking back yeah. to my childhood, 2001 sounds about right for that. Correct. Yeah, yeah. So that's not right. I can tell you exactly which um, which game it was, but in terms of professional credits, I'd have to go back a lot further. Uh, the first game I did was in um, 1999, and it was a game called um, 
Independence War II, Edge of Chaos. And I played the main protagonist character, Cal. So that's the first game I did. Independence, was that a PC game or? It was, yeah. That sounds like one of the, I mean, God knows, I, I mean, absolutely no disrespect, but it does just the title. Sounds like <laughs> something that you would see like mid to bottom shelf at Walmart. And, uh, and I know this because this is where I frequent, but that's why I had to ask because I don't recall that being like 360 or anything like that. So I was just curious as to what that did. Because I'm going to look 360, it up. Yeah, when did the 360 come oh, out? Did Sweet. Yep. I'm all over that. It just is, especially like Independence War, sounds like something I'd be all over, kind of like Ghost Recon or something. Well, it's a space game. It's a space Either game. Better. Yeah. So, yeah, yeah it's, uh, uh, I can't remember the storyline. It's so long ago. Um, but yeah, if you like kind of space, spacey type games, I think it was a good one. What was the, the um, oh, I'm sorry, please go no, ahead. No, I was just going to ask if you're a gamer yourself, Doug. You sound like you might be. Yeah, I try to be. I try to be. Um, <laughs> I love games. I've always loved games. Board games, uh, tabletop role-playing games, uh, video games. Yeah, I love it all. I love it all. I've got a lovely, lovely collection of board games here at home. Um, I love video games. I just, I, I, I especially like the um, the role-playing game. Mm -hmm. And uh, and you have to have time to invest in those, you know. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And and I I often don't have the time to invest, so. What's your favorite? I've, I've dipped into a <laughs> favorite game. I can tell you, you what say my you love RPGs. Is. I mean, what's your what's your favorite? You're only like ten years or <laughs> you're only like ten years or so older than us, so we probably have some similar taste. I'm just curious. And that and catch you off guard. I'm just curious. Like, yeah. No, when my I say, favorite. What's your favorite? What was the one that popped in your mind? Well, my favorite is always Witcher. Um, <laughs> Good answer. For obvious reasons, you know. <laughs> I mean, it's just uh, you know my relationship with that game and that brand and and that character is just uh, you know it's hard to describe in some ways because what what actors do a lot of times is they 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 go from job to job to job so they never really get to know any particular character um that i mean i mean deeply obviously because we're actors we we do that but you know I, I had a i've had a 2007 i think i recorded witcher one and it's 2021 now so um yeah i've had a 13 nearly 14 year relationship with Geralt of rivia and um yeah i mean it's you know he's part of my life uh and and i like to think i'm part of his but Just, um, Justin's probably, yeah. I don't want to step on anyone's toes for this, but since you already broached it, I figured I would ask yeah. how much of that character was you as opposed to the, and I'm going to completely butcher his name. So y'all back there, leave me alone. <laughs> Andre's Kukowski's book. <laughs> But I'm looking at his books right now, and I can't pronounce that last name. Right, and I'm Sapkowski. just Sapkowski. It's Sapkowski. Thank you. How much? Uh, <laughs> how much of The Witcher? And there's no wrong answer. I'm just curious because if you're when you voice a character, naturally some of that is going. But I'm just yeah. curious as to between th that guy, the author, <clears throat> CD Projekt Red, and then you. I'm just kind of curious as to how much of that was actually you, or did Geralt become Geralt because of the way you gave him personality because that happens a lot yeah i think it depends on who you talk to because i mean there were a lot of people involved in 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 making that game and mm -hmm. and in terms of the character of Geralt and all the characters in in the witcher game and in any game you've got an actor doing the voice and and if they're doing performance capture then they're doing more than the voice you know it's the body the facial capture everything else but so you've got an actor doing the voice but you've got a director working with the actor to try and get the you know to try and get the right kind of performance that that the developer is looking for um you've got writers who are informing what the director and the actor have to work with um and and then you know in, in the case of the witcher you've also got the author of the original books who didn't have any direct input into the games but he wrote the books that informed the games <laughs> so you got a lot of people involved there who are all working to and 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 you've got an engineer who's recording the actor in the booth whose work is you know absolutely essential to getting the quality recording of the of that voice so really it's a team effort always and, you know like any creative pursuit any any creative activity um unless you're a painter painting on your own you know um or something like that most creative pursuits are are 
Yeah, there there are multiple people involved. Yeah. If you're a writer, you've got an editor who's going to you know suggest changes. You know, right. you've got a publisher maybe who wants you to take your work down a particular path. Maybe I don't know. So yeah, that's the kind of broad answer to your question. Yeah, that and the way I, I would just yeah. Well, the way I feel about it though, is that um, I feel that there's an awful lot of me in that character, but that's partly because of the way that I like to approach my work as an actor, I feel very strongly that the my work is any character I play has to first and foremost be informed by who I am, because that's the only way I'm going to get some truth into the character. Um, and then of course, you know, there's the original author of the character, the playwright, the, you know, who, you know, whoever else has been involved in creation of, of what the character does and says and how they behave. Um, but I, yeah, I like to think over time, Geralt became more and more, informed by me and my performance and i think that the writers and i have no proof for this this is just my feeling i think the writers were influenced to some extent by how i pushed the character beyond perhaps what i was originally asked to do in subtle ways and they and they realized for that reason and for other reasons as well that 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 Geralt could grow and become a more emotionally rounded um character in the game because if you look at the games from Witcher 1 to Witcher 3 and the DLCs he changes a lot um and and the writers changed what they allowed him to do and that gave me more scope to push my own not agenda but you know my own right. feelings yeah. about the character um just pushing on the edges of that envelope you know that was good because that's kind of running tandem with it. And I mean, I, I've had to say this several times, like depending on the story, but I mean, no offense when I say this, it's just that the Witcher story is not American. It's not English. It's a completely different culture. Hmm. And if you have not grown up in that culture, their storytelling is different. And if you think, you know, if you don't understand what I'm talking about, pop in any Japanese flick right now, especially horror, or watch Train to Busan. Watch that movie, uh, what, The Protector, where the dude runs around with crotch to face, breaking everyone's neck on the eastern <laughs> seaboard all over a baby <laughs> elephant. Yeah. Like, it, the storytelling is different. And that's kind of, yeah. that's why I had asked, like, if your character helped, if you helped inform Gary, because... I am sure the original stories, the character of Geralt is written differently just because there's a different culture behind it. And yeah. it has to be since <laughs> The Witcher 3 is like a top selling game here in America, somewhere the stories overlap, connect and translate well. So that was the reason for my question. Yeah, well, I, I, think, I think good stories, wherever they come from, whatever cu culture they come from, can be good stories universally mm -hmm. sometimes they need to be mildly adjusted for a different culture you know jokes don't always translate directly and from one culture to another things like that but the witcher had such a similar kind of um fantasy world like lord of the rings that it was you know it was a world that was familiar even if kind of sideways familiar um it had different creatures it had different people different um different mechanics as it were but it was a it was familiar enough that western audiences grabbed onto it pretty quick um i mean just you know hearing you talk about it um when we did witcher one the books hadn't come out in english so the only information i had about about the, the witcher world was what the developers gave me same that was the same with me playing the game yeah so it's uh but i didn't even have that i i had some concept art to go from and then you know they were trying to describe creatures like lessons to me and i was like <laughs> Okay. <laughs> so, yeah, I think that certainly early on there there was uh I had to use a lot of myself to inform who Geralt was. So, Doug, when you're when you're in the booth and you're working on finding the voice for Geralt, when did you know when you hit it? Were you was there a reaction from the producers? Did you try like 10 different voices and then you just it's like, "Oh, there's Geralt right there." Mm. There wasn't, there certainly wasn't a moment of, of, um, of that's it. I think it was, and, and his voice developed over time. I mean, simple things like between, between Witcher 1 and Witcher 2, I quit smoking. So my voice ah. changed a little bit there. Um, there was a suggestion. Um, when I went in for the audition, Boris from CD Projekt, he suggested that I think about, uh, we, we'd already tried some stuff and he wasn't entirely convinced. Um, he said, he said, Doug, think about, Clint Eastwood in the Dirty Harry films. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. So, so that is kind of where the 
the end result that is Geralt's voice really started to head in the right direction. Because you can imagine it, you know? You can I imagine can hear that clear as day now, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Go ahead, punk. Make my day. <laughs> Damn. There you we know? go. <laughs> so, yeah. And also, um, Geralt's voice was really hard for me at the beginning. It was really tough. I really had to push my voice down there. And, um, and now it just it falls out of my face. You know, I'll be walking around the house, you know, and I'll see a pile of laundry in the corner of the room. I, Damn, I got to do the laundry. <laughs> <laughs> you know, but I'm not trying to do Geralt's voice. I'm just talking to myself, you yeah. know, under my, under my breath, kind of. And it just falls into it. And I hear it. And I go, ah, oh, that's funny. Geralt needs <laughs> When Justin mentioned the voices, all I saw in my head was like the scene from Ernest Goes to Jail when he's trying to get into character for Nash and he does that montage like, hey, yo. Yeah. Tough <laughs> he's guy. trying to get Geralt's voice. Hey, yep. you got a problem with some monsters. What's <laughs> <laughs> I going to you, fucking Witcher? <laughs> now, there is a character we needed in The Witcher. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, exactly. So, so the game franchise was sort of popular early on, but. You know, The Witcher 3 takes the franchise to an entirely different level. Did you notice anything different while you were recording or specifically compared to the others? Yeah. Um, well, yeah, some of the some of the technology changed. Witcher, Witcher 1, all the dialogue was printed out on sheets of paper that I had on a music stand in front of me. Some of Witcher 2 was like that. Um, but it quickly moved in, into more, di- you know, digital. Mm-hmm. So it would be a, a television screen in front of me with uh with essentially an excel spreadsheet with all the dialogue and stuff uh, so that changed um oh, sorry go back what was the question again just if you notice any any more differences between the oh, witcher yeah. one and witcher three when the popularity of the game spiked, did anything else yeah. change behind the scenes well witcher one when it came out nobody nobody knew anything about it really except <laughs> people who'd read the books in polish and i think they were out in german or, or something like that as well um so it developed kind of a a, a a nice following for a, a debut game. And remember, this was CD Projekt's first real, you know, go at making a, a, a proper RPG game. Uh, and it did well. And then there was some anticipation for Witcher 2. And um, I think when Witcher 2 came out, I noticed a bit more. But even when Witcher 3 came out, and, and you know, CD Projekt was very keen on really, really transforming the gaming world. So... Yeah. When I talked with Boris, I had a lot of contact with Boris, and he would ask me questions about, do you think a game can be truly immersive? And we would talk about that. And, you know, and there, I knew that they were thinking big thoughts, but I didn't know exactly what would happen. And even after Witcher 3 release in 2015, I still didn't get it. <laughs> uh, that, that, that's partly because I was otherwise occupied. You know, I, I, was, I, I was still teaching at university. I, I was running an acting course um, at a university here in England, and that was occupying a lot of my attention. So I wasn't, I wasn't going on Reddit. I wasn't looking for what people were saying about the game and stuff. It was only really when about six months later after the game came out and a journalist from Eurogamer uh, got in touch with me and said, hey, um, I want to write an article about the popularity of The Witcher. Can I come talk to you and he did and then that kind of opened my eyes you know uh, um, I mean not that I wasn't aware that Witcher 3 had had done gangbusters I knew it had gone really really big and good but um, the first time that I kind of realized how big <laughs> was was when I started talking to this journalist and he started filling me in on, on some of the stuff that was is it safe um, to assume that uh, Geralt has played the Witcher I have yeah have you all the way the whole series no there's bits i've I've still missed out but um it's you know bucket list kind of things to go and do um but yeah i've played the witcher um and uh i have to say witcher 3 is my favorite absolutely Um, though though blood and wine is a really really close second um i loved what what we did with blood and wine um yeah it's uh yeah it's 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 a fun one people like to ask you know was it weird playing this character with your voice and yeah it, it, it is at first and then you know you start getting into the storyline and stuff like that and then you forget that it's you but what does happen is i'll be playing and Geralt will say something and just the you know the critical creative actor in in myself um the director in myself um goes oh man i could have done that so much better you know you, you hear yourself yeah. and you just go oh no man yep but that's just me being hypercritical. That's what you're saying. You're well, every myself. artist is their own biggest critic. You know, mm-hmm. yeah. it doesn't matter what anybody says. You're still going to go, well, that one part right there could have been a little better or 
every take it from us you did a great job yeah (laughs) (laughs) i'm sure the game the game and its popularity speaks for itself i mean so you've sorry go ahead i was just gonna ask so you you've played the all three of them i would assume all three witcher games i played yeah i haven't i haven't finished witcher one or witcher two um but i played and um and really enjoyed them and um I, I kind of preferred the mechanics in Witcher 1 over Witcher 2, but I, I appreciated the, the wider choice of, of things that you could do with Geralt in Witcher 2. Um, but Witcher 3, I think they really got it right. You know, just yeah. I, that was such a playable game. But everybody has their own opinions. You know, there are a lot of people I've, I've you know, run into on forums and, you know, various other places who, who think the Witcher 2 was the best of the three. So it really just depends on what, you know, what floats your boat in terms yeah. of game mechanics. What and, I want to know from, from the man himself is uh, Yennefer or Triss? <laughs> 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 well, both fantastic female characters. Um, both beautiful, both powerful, both intelligent, um, capable women. So, you know, uh, me as Geralt? Uh, yeah, either one, really. <laughs> <Broke>. <laughs> both I, I tried that option in the game it didn't work out that well it doesn't work out for you if you try that yeah yeah no my for my personal feeling though it, I, I always say is for tris um that's that's doug talking though um and the, the reason for it is that i feel like the relationship that Geralt has with yennefer is m- much more of a kind of um it's a slightly more hostile um mildly antagonistic relationship and i've had relationships like that in my own life and they're just a misery fest There's too much um, headache man too much yeah their relationship yeah. Is, is unnatural you know uh tris and Geralt actually become friends and naturally get feelings for each other whereas Geralt and yin were uh, you know for like oh, we'll just go to this gin and save your life and link our destinies so it's kind of a forced <laughs> relationship that they have that's really well put that's really well put. yeah i am also a fan of tris and whenever i bring that up to other people they're like well you know canonically and i'm like shut the hell up yeah (laughs) but even in the books man canonically they you know they have this this really really turbulent relationship and um as you say Mitch, you know the 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 relationship that Geralt has with Triss is much more organic. It's much more uh, more of a friendship. Mm-hmm. Um, so you know that's what I prefer. But Geralt, man, I think he kind of likes the pain. <laughs> yeah. still, he keeps coming back for more. Yeah, so exactly. Yeah. I like something. <laughs> <laughs> well, I think I think there is a genuine love um, and respect between Geralt and Yennefer, but it's it just manifests itself in a slightly harder edged way you yourself doug you you're back and forth between the uk and uh the uh north america for doing a lot of work i guess do you notice any differences between uh auditioning in the u.s and auditioning over uh across the pond uh i would if i was actually bouncing back and forth but i'm not um okay i'm i have not had an audition for um i've not had an audition in the u.s well since i moved to the uk um in 1999 Wow. Um, and, and that's not because I don't work for U.S. companies. That's because there's a very, very strong voice production industry here in the U.K. And, um, you know, I've done films here in the U.K. that were American made. Uh, I mean, I was in uh, Band of Brothers. Mm-hmm. That was all filmed over here. So, uh, yeah, it's, it's different, though. It is different. I have, uh, you know, I, I, I trained in the U.S. and I have a lot of american friends who are actors and through them and through other things you know experiences i've had and stuff like that um i i i understand the differences um mm-hmm. and i've experienced some of them but i think that be- because things are so global a lot of it's pretty much the same right um yeah so i don't think there's that much difference to be honest i think things are um things over here have a slightly different flavor that's the best way i can describe it really right. gotcha is There's it, more of a business approach in the U.S., whereas over here there tends to be a slightly softer uh, approach to to auditions um, and stuff like that. More for the art for arts. I kind of feel like that. Is it a? I don't know. I don't know. In the or, all right in the U.K., do American accents go well over there the way English accents go well over here? Because it's like over here, I could have the most honey coated voice ever. And doesn't matter because as soon as a Brit walks in, he's gonna be like, "Hi, this is the final script," and it's like, "You're hired." 
<laughs> is that the same thing like over there in the UK? Everybody walks around going, is this the final script? Are you sure? Who's a twat that wrote the And then I was like, hey, is this where I'm supposed to do the audition? And then I get hired over there. Is it like that over there or what? No, I think that. <laughs> no, your voice sucks. <laughs> <laughs> it's not that. It's not that. It's the, I, I think that Americans, a lot of Americans, have a have a slightly more romantic notion of uh, foreign accent, uh, yeah. particularly of English. I think um, so. I, I remember when I, I I lived in Seattle for a while, and that's where I met my my wife. And she had these two friends from university. She she, she grew up in the states, but her family moved back to England when she was fourteen, and she went to high school and college over here. Um, and then she moved back to sorry, just a little explanation because she moved back to the states to work when she finished uh, college. And two of her friends from uh, Durham University where she studied uh, also ended up in Seattle. And these guys were born and bred English guys. They didn't have, you know, RP accidents, the Queen's English kind of thing. They had regional UK accent. And neither of them were, you know, they, they, were, they were nice guys. They were, you know, handsome, but they weren't like, you know, movie star quality kind of stuff. Um, but all they had to do is walk into a room full of American women and open their mouths. And then the women just fell all over them. You know, it was like, it was crazy. doesn't work quite the same way over here for Americans. <laughs> I'll walk in and do like Dexter's omelette de fremont. Yeah. <laughs> Thank you. Somebody got it. I appreciate that. Uh, Thank no you. problem. I, I immediately. <laughs> Doug, correct me if I'm wrong, but earlier you said that you, uh, I think you said you got started in theater. Did you have any favorite roles to perform? Yeah, yeah, lots of lots of roles I really enjoyed. Um, I mean, I I loved every role I played uh, in a Shakespeare play. Um, I I say that like I've done dozens. I haven't. I've only actually. I think I've only done three. I've done other classical authors, but only three Shakespeare plays. But um, yet, one of my favorites, one of my absolute favorites was uh, Benedict in Much Ado About Nothing. Um, partly because that was a really good time in my life, and I was really, really enjoying my work as an actor, but also I just had so much fun with it, you know? He's a great character. He's really fun to play, so I enjoyed that. Um, but I've had others as well. Um, yeah, I mean, I, you know, I could name a dozen. Macbeth? Were you ever in a Macbeth production? Yeah, yeah, I played Which, Macbeth in a production. Wow. Of, uh, no Macbeth. shit, awesome. Yeah, yeah, that was a good one as well. Um, that was one of those ones where uh, I went to the audition, and, and and just to be completely honest about this, you know, this was a a show I did when I was in graduate school at Penn State, but they were done, you know, to a professional standard. So it's not like we were just messing about, you know, with some Shakespeare stuff. It's proper stuff. But I went, I went to the audition. And I really wanted it. Um, and I just kind of, I decided for myself that I was going to throw caution to the wind and I was going to, I was going to, you know, basically act the crap out of this thing. Um, and it was like I flipped a switch and I felt it in the audition. I was like, um, I'm going somewhere I haven't gone before with, with what I'm doing today. Um, and that's exciting. Will I get the part? I don't know. But I'm, I know I'm, I'm pushing my own, you know, buttons as it were. Mm -hmm. So I did get it in the end. And then I had a fantastic experience um, breaking boundaries that I didn't even know I had. And that's the best kind of acting, I think, or the you know, best kind of anything like that. Um, I, I, did a, I did a musical for the first time here in the UK. Um, and before I went to the audition, I said to my wife, I said, I, I'm kind of scared. I haven't done a musical before. I've done little scenes from musicals and things like that, but I've never done a proper professional musical. And she said, oh, you're scared, huh? I said, yeah, I don't know if I can do it. She said, well, you better get it and do it then, because that sounds like something you need to do. Mm -hmm. So, and it was, it was great. I had a fantastic time. What was the musical? Which one was it? Where, uh, where was it? It was, uh, I've done two over here now. I, I did High Society and Guys and Dolls. I think, I think it was High Society. High Society at Aberystwyth Arts Center. And I played, um, I forget the guy's name. Is it Dexter Haven? Yeah, Dexter Haven. Uh, the, the, um, I think it's Bing Crosby who plays him in the film. Oh, we'll have to look it up, but yeah, okay. <laughs> it was really good fun. I was trying to imagine, I didn't know like the musical scene over there was as exuberant. Just trying to imagine like we're going to go to a musical where in London. Ah, oh, nice. And you go in there and it's just like four people sitting there with a cello and like a man will be like, I say Hutchinson <laughs> is back from the grocery. Look at him. 
No, man, there's That's a huge, I just huge would never musical. think it was like a big production. I was like, ah, da, 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 da. And, oh, sorry. <laughs> oh man, no, there's a huge, um, a his, huge history of the of um, musicals in the in the industry over here. I mean, things like Les Mis was developed yeah. over here. Cats was developed over here. You know. Um, <laughs> Daniel, sorry. Daniel just has this idea. <laughs> sorry. <laughs> So, Doug, what's, how does your approach differ when you're doing a stage role versus when you're in the booth doing some voice acting? Uh, yeah, um, the, the difference for me between doing voice acting and working on stage or on film, is working on stage and on film and television is kind of similar, really. Mm-hmm. Um, the difference is that in, in, on stage or in film and television, you have a costume that helps you get into character. You have... Um, normally you've had to memorize your lines, so you've had at least some time to get to know what the character's going through, how they're dealing with their current situation, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. Um, You have a set or a location to interact with. You have other actors to interact with. More often than not, my experience with games in particular is that you you often know very little going into the recording session about what you're going to be recording. Mm-hmm. Sometimes you don't even know what characters you're going to be recording. Oh. So you really do go into this situation where you have no costume, you have no set, you're just in a in a in a in a padded room with a window where you can see the the director and the engineer and sometimes some of the developers and you have to create this whole world in your mind um, in a way that you don't have to do when you have all those other things, other actors, costume, set, props, uh, preparation time. So the way I describe it is that you, as an actor, you have to engage your imagination in a slightly different way. Um, not that you don't engage your imagination in stage and film and television, but it's just different. So that's the difference for me. Have you ever done any dubbing? Uh, by dubbing, what do you, what do you mean? Um, sort of, uh, taking something that's in a different language and translating it, uh, performing oh, yeah, it in English. Yeah. yeah, I have just recently actually for a game. Um, I was, I'm not usually localization talent. I'm usually, you know, recording uh, the, the initial English voices, but um, this one was a game made in Russia with Russian actors. And my job was to play the, the main male lead, um, not to recreate the Russian actor's performance, but we used that as kind of a, um, a guide to where to place the voice. So yeah, I've done that. I've done stuff like ADR, um, automated dialogue mm-hmm. recording, um, or replacement, depending on who you talk to. Uh, so I've done that for a couple of, um, I've done some, no, I wouldn't call that dubbing. Yeah, that's a bit. So I've done a bit of dubbing. I'd love to get into anime and stuff yeah, like that. that. You know, animation and, and Japanese anime. I'd love mm-hmm. to do some of that. Yeah, yeah we're, that would be the shit. Dude, we ought to get him uh, Kyle Bear. Get yeah. him too hooked up, get them in an anime together. That's why I asked you, because um, a lot of voice actors say that's a completely different skill from being in the booth. Dubbing is completely different and kind of like yeah. a musical skill, almost a timing. Yeah, yeah, I, I can understand what they mean. Um, uh, doing ADR is like that. You've got a, you've got a, ve- you've got a specific time period to do whatever you need to do in. Sometimes, you know, translating from one language language to another into English, you actually have to say more words or you have to say fewer words, but in the same mm-hmm. period of time and with the same kind of emotional um, impact for the character. So it can be really, really challenging. I mean, it, it is a real skill. I have a friend over here in the UK who teaches specific workshops just about dubbing because there are specific techniques you can apply to, um, to dubbing. And there's some technologies that you have to learn how to work with as well. I'd always been what I would just love to like do video game voices just in general. I'm like you like the anime. I'd always thought that would be so cool to get into that, which is kind of what got me into doing audio drama and stuff. The sound design, just trying to get into the voice work just to see what that's all about. But mm. it just in as I look at it, you know, a complete outsider, it'd be like, I think video games would probably be that'd be my jam just to, you know, sit in a booth and at least sure it's kind of impersonal, but you know, at least they could do punch in, punch out, record. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Well, in some of them, it's kind of, you know, I always think that it appeals to my, my teenage boy, uh, you know, admiring soldiers and things like that kind of thing. You know, when you go in and you get to play the, uh, the rough, tough soldier mm-hmm. guy who's, you know, battling his way through an mm-hmm. army and all that stuff, you know, it's kind of fun, you know, <laughs> I've been saving this one, but, uh, 
have you seen the Netflix adaption and what do you think? Yeah, I've seen it. I love it. I think it's fantastic. Um, it took me a little while to understand what they were doing with it because they, they jump around in the time scale of things. And I didn't realize that at first. It took me watching the first episode two or three times before I really started to get my head around that. I think I was about three episodes in when I realized it was going on. And then I went back. Yeah. Went, okay, now I know what's going on. I got to go rewatch this. Um, but yeah, I loved it. I think Henry does a fantastic mm -hmm. um, uh, I have no issue with the casting whatsoever. Um, uh, it's just it's just lovely to see that world live in that different expression, you know. Um, I think I think I think there, there there were a lot of people who poo pooed it before it came out, and even after it came out, and I just felt like that was really grossly unfair. It's it was never going to be the same as the games. Um, uh, so I suppose coming from that perspective, I just went into it going, "This is a world I love, and I'm going to enjoy it for what it is." Yeah, right. Yeah, yeah. people are going to do that anyway, man. Just don't even whatever yeah, yeah exactly just, they yeah. announced the witcher show it was like oh hell yeah when they said it's henry cavill it's like have you seen that dude i don't care if he sucks at it i ain't gonna tell him y'all gonna tell him <laughs> and his uh, voice is great as Geralt. did he ever did he reach out to you or did you give him any no he never did but he um well he has recently actually um uh we've, really? we've met um yeah um, oh, if you got a picture of that, that'd be cool as shit. I don't. No, I was I was trying to be very um, non-fanboyish and didn't ask him <laughs> to do a selfie with me, you know. Uh, He's a nerd. He was probably doing yeah, the same thing yeah. with you. Well, he was a little bit. Yeah, yeah, he was. It was great. He he invited me to... Um, See? <laughs> he invited me via Instagram. Literally, I got this direct message on Instagram uh, from somebody named Henry Cavill. I was like, yeah, right. Yeah. You know? <laughs> Yeah, it was like, sure. hey, Doug, I'd really like to invite you to the London premiere of um, of the Netflix Witcher show if you're if you're able to. Um, how can I get in touch and stuff? And I wrote back and said, if this is real, then yes, please. <laughs> and he wrote back and said, I right, will prove it. I'll prove it. So yeah, I went and um, and we met and we you know we shook hands and um, we had a little chat and then after the premiere we went to the, you know, they had this whole party thing and um, he invited me uh, to come and hang out with him and, and his family in the back room. And we had a really nice chat. He is um, truly a gentle giant. You know, he's a really, really nice guy, really humble, really, um, you know, and he, he wanted to talk with me about, you know, my experience of playing Geralt. And I wanted to ask him about his, you know, and we just stood there sipping a beer and having a chat about the Witcher world and, and other things as well. Um, it was really nice. It was a really nice thing for him to do. And uh, this year, he sent me a, uh, I didn't even know this was going to happen. I didn't know he was, but he sent me a box of, of special flavored sparkling waters, carbonated waters, um, really nice one. And complete surprise, not expected at all. And it, but it was just a lovely gesture. Yeah, really sweet guy. Just a little Witcher on Witcher press. Yeah, yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I posted it on Twitter and then to say, look, you know. I, I still wouldn't know how to add it because I'm just still spellbound by the way he held. It's like I'm I'm a big Superman nerd anyway. So just seeing it the way he plays Superman, it's like oh yeah. Like and then of course seeing it be the Witcher, it's like oh yeah. I ain't even gonna say it. even if he wasn't good. Like I said, I ain't gonna tell him otherwise. That dude looks like he could fight. <laughs> I don't think he has to, but yeah, I, th I think he could probably hold his own if he had to. <laughs> the way he looks, he doesn't have to. He just gives you that look, and the boots are like, all right. There's no real shame in losing to him if you did. They're like, what, you want me to beat Superman? <laughs> hey, yeah, really. I, I called know. up a hold up saying, hey, hey, dude, I just got my ass kicked by <laughs> <laughs> I'm getting beat up by Superman. <laughs> and then Luther, please. <laughs> you see this swollen shut eye? That was Superman did that. <laughs> <laughs> so what else have you got going on like after the witcher i mean you're you got a freaking cbs pharmacy receipt list of voice credits and stuff what else you got going on here uh, well the, the thing with acting uh, unless you're someone like you know henry cavill is you know the work comes and goes you have fallow periods you have busy periods you know it, it, it's the life of a jobbing actor so um i've done several games since lockdown kicked in the lockdown really affected a lot of work you know there was a lot of creatives out there who were struggling other people as well but you know it just shut the acting industry right down so it's been a bit slow to be honest this year uh but i've done a few games and they were they were good they were fun to do and they you know kept the wolf from the door and um but yeah the big thing i'm doing at the moment yeah no pun intended yeah 
I was back in like July, I was looking at the coming year and I knew there was going to be more lockdowns and stuff. And I just thought, you know, this industry is not going to bounce back that quickly. It's going to be a slow year. Um, so I decided to do something else. So I went back to school. So I'm in the middle of doing a, a master's of business administration degree um, <laughs> Damn. just for the hell of it. Um, why not? You know, thinking, well, why not? You know, my, my, my brother-in-law, he did one uh, when he found out I was uh, deciding to do a, a one-year MBA. Uh, he said, you know, it's, a, it's really a, a master's of bugger all because <laughs> <laughs> it's kind of a generalist degree. You know, it's a, it's a lot, a lot of little things, you know, it's kind of like a, an overview of how to run and manage business. Yeah, and all I'd love to get your foot in. I'd love to do something like that though, just to, cause I mean, I know nothing. <laughs> I know two things, Jack and shit. Jack just left out. <laughs> uh, I would, I'd love to take a class like that just so I could know like the business aspects of it. It's so been eye opening, man. I've, I've been like, I mean, you know, I, I ran an acting course at a university for 13 years, uh, um, 14 if you count other experience. And, you know, there was a lot of business administration doing that stuff. So I thought I knew a lot and I'm, I'm doing this MBA and I'm going, wow, there's so much more to know. <laughs> um, you know, so it's, it's been really cool. Doug, it's the nature of the podcast. Uh, what are your favorite films and are any of them horror films? You know, I did a horror film. Which one? It's a little film called London Voodoo, an indie film made here in the UK, and I play the main character. And uh, it's a it's a cracker. I love it. It's uh it's not a it's not a big jump scare kind of film. You know, it's not a Friday the Thirteenth or anything like that. But um, it has it's it's a slow burn horror film. Um, so yeah, worth checking out, you guys. I looked on your website and I I, th I thought, well, if they don't mention it, I'm going to mention it because <laughs> you know it fits right in with what you guys are interested in. Um, yeah, it's about it's about um, uh, this American couple who moved to the UK for, for the guy's job. And um, the, the wife finds um, a skeleton in the basement. And it turns out that this skeleton is, um, I can't remember exactly how it all works out in terms of, you know, exactly how it works out. But basically the wife becomes possessed by um, the spirit of a voodoo priestess Ooh. who was wronged in her life. And, uh, and things go a bit crazy. <laughs> Cool. Well, definitely it's such a out. sorely overlooked subgenre anyway. So that when you said London voodoo, interest is peaked anyway. So uh, yeah, this sadly not too much representation. Yeah, it's hard it to out, get man. it right. Yeah. It's that first film where I actually had to do a scene. Well, the first and only film where I actually had to do a scene where I had to be completely naked for one shot. <laughs> I was in this room. If you watch it, you'll know it as soon as you see it. Um, but I, I had to walk into a room full of um, voodoo practitioners who are going to set me up to go battle the spirit. And um, uh, there was just no way. I mean, they, you know, the, the, the director and the cinematographer tried to find creative solutions so that I didn't have to walk into a room mostly full of women with, with my, my todger hanging out, you know? Um, <laughs> but uh, when I looked at it, I was just like, you know what? There's no way to do this right without me just going buck naked. Um, so I did. And it was kind of an interesting experience. I was really nervous, um, but uh, kind of freeing as well, you know, because how yeah. often do you do something like that? You know? and then After I'll... that, hell, you <laughs> yeah, do really. anything. You just walk in there, strike one of those poses, you know? <laughs> yeah. So, yeah, definitely a good film to watch. I'd, 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 I'd recommend it. Uh, my favorite horror films, though. Oh, man. I, I'm horrible with horror films because I hate the jump scares. Mm -hmm. <laughs> I end up like this, going, oh, no, 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 yeah. no, no. <laughs> um, doesn't have to be horror. Just what do you like watching? Like, what are some of your favorite movies in general? Oh, I love fantasy. I love fantasy. Um, you know, a film I want to see. I'm gonna. I'm gonna forget the name of it. I haven't seen it, but I, I keep hearing about it. I keep going. Gosh, I gotta see that. It sounds horrible. Uh, it's the one about the. Um, everybody has to be really quiet. Oh, quiet uh, place. A quiet place. A quiet place. Yeah, I want to oh, see cool. that. You'd like it. Yeah, I, I, I grew up on Friday the 13th and Halloween and, you know, all those old classics and stuff. But, um, you know, I also quite like, you know, the, the old, old classics, things like Psycho, yeah. you know, and the birds, stuff like that. You know, I mean, that's, you know, that's great stuff. I haven't watched a lot of horror recently, but um, i trying to think what the last one I saw was. I honestly can't remember. But, yeah, I grew up on Friday the 13th, Halloween, those kinds of things. Um, 
and I want to I want to see a quiet place. You'll like it. Now I have to ask. Uh, we a friend of ours, Angelique. She, what is your go-to movie? You're sitting down Don't watching really a movie. Snack. What's your go-to snack? I don't really snack watching movies. <laughs> you know. <laughs> Because uh, it's so darn expensive. You go to a movie theater and you pay, you know, 20 quid for a bucket of lukewarm popcorn. Hey, I'm American. Good. What the hell is a quid? Is that what you get out of the ocean? <laughs> oh, sorry. <laughs> okay, just 25 bucks. Buck. <laughs> Jesus Christ. See, you got to do the, the pro level move and you just got to go and you got to buy your little boxes of candy or whatever. And, <laughs> and you walk in there have, stuffed in your sweater and you can't hardly move. Have your wife or your girlfriend put it right in their purse because they're not going to check that. You just walk in. I haven't paid for movie snacks in years. <laughs> I put it right down the front of my pants. <laughs> Like I'm walking in there with a turtle in my trousers. <laughs> and then no one wants to share and you get all the food. Yeah, right. <laughs> and so if you don't buy it at the theater, let's say you rented a video at home to watch on the telly. What's yeah. your go-to snack? Yeah, I usually a gin and tonic. Oh, <laughs> a like snack. a true Londoner. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Quite the snack. <laughs> well, no, I like I like chocolate. I've I've been I've been um I've been having a, a, a real crush on uh, a chocolate brand called to um, Chocolonely, Tony's Chocolonely. Um, that's good. It's, um, it's, uh, it's a really, um, I was going to say it's a really ethical company. I suppose that's not quite the right word to say, but it's a Dutch company that um, has uh, made really strong efforts to make sure that there's no child labor in its supply chain and stuff like that. Okay. And um, I, I just checked them out recently and tried some of their chocolate and I was like, Oh, this is good stuff. So for the last three or four months, actually, I've just been, I've, I always have a bar of Tony's chuckle only chocolate somewhere in the house that I can munch on while I'm watching. Cool. So uh, to date, what would you say is the best acting advice? you? Wow. Nobody's asked me that. Well, there are classics like, um, I mean, the, these, these make the rounds, but it's good advice. Um, <laughs> say the words and don't bump into the furniture. <laughs> <laughs> well, um, that's a good one. Yeah. 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 No, there, there, there's, there's so many moments when I was learning acting um, and I count moments, you know, on set doing it professionally and, you know, or, you know, in a play where the director says something and you just go, ah, you know what I mean? Mm -hmm. um, there, there's, there, I'm going to go back to, to a, a teacher I had, um, Manuel Duque at, at uh, Penn State. And he was, he was a great teacher. He was a wonder, I had lots of great teachers, but he stood out to me um, for some of the things he used to say. Uh, he, had this, he had this phrase that was, um, uh, por los buenos, uh, which is, I don't know, if, I don't remember if it's Spanish or Portuguese. I can't remember where, where, where he kind of came from, but um, uh, it, was, it was his way of, it, I mean, it translates as for the good. And it was more of a concept than advice, but he would use it to say, you know, don't play the bad in characters play because they don't think they're bad. Even if they're a bad character, they're not trying to be bad. They're trying to do something that will get them something that is good for them. So play the good. Um, uh, I'm trying to think what else he said. Um, oh, I'm, I'm, it's, I'm, I'm, I'm losing it at the moment. I'm not remembering it, but um, yeah, it's just stuff like that, you know, things that people said um, advice that, that I hasn't been directly given to me, but that I've heard given, by other people sometimes is the best advice. Um, somebody I saw said, um, if you go into acting, do it because you love it. And if it ever stops being fun, stop doing it. It's not worth it. Um, I think that's true of a lot of art. You know, if you, because most people, most people find it challenging at best to make a living as an artist, whether you're a musician or a visual artist or an actor or whatever it is, um, it's a hard life. It's a hard financial life potentially. So you got to go into it for a passion. And if you ever lose that passion, it's just not worth it. Do it as a hobby. Um, you you got to live too. So that was advice that I can't remember if it was given to me or if it was given to someone else and I just latched onto it. Um, I think is a good one for any artist really. Well said. Reggie, Reggie fees of me from Nintendo said that. He's like, if it's not fun, why bother? Why bother yeah. doing it? Exactly. Yeah. Good advice.
Doug, we're coming up on our hour and we're not going to keep you hostage uh, if no one else has anything. <laughs> but before we let you go, do not leave. Uh, if you don't mind, I'm going to send you a little message here privately. And if you can do it as Geralt, I promise it'll make sense once I add uh, sound effects and all. So Are you going to put it on the chat? Yeah, I'm going to send it to you in the chat and let me know if you got it. <laughs> all right, we're going to mute ourselves and you can do your thing. <clears throat> Hang on a sec. Aiden, I just need to record something real quick. Monsters, madness, and magic, you say? Hmm, shouldn't be a problem. Don't work for free, though. Let's go, Roach. All right. Yeah, that was great, man. Appreciate we're gonna We're going <laughs> to let you get out of here. As, uh, clearly, somebody's calling you, and we've kept you for way too long. Beautiful, man. Thank you so much for your time. <laughs> you, uh, you're very welcome. It's been really nice to meet all you guys. Just, all right, Doug. Yep. You have a great rest of your day, and... Happy New Year. Happy New can Year. I just, can I just say, though, until recently, I had a bit of a beard. I feel like I shaved too soon. Yeah, you probably know? so. Yeah, yeah I look, should have been we're on not related. With, we're not all we're, we're, we're <laughs> yeah, You did take <laughs> a call with three Vikings. So. But yeah, I know. People I'm, keep saying that about me, and then you play the Witcher, and next thing you know, it's like, well, I just got to look badass or something. So that's what your voice does to people. You see, you did this. But anyway. Have a happy new year, man. Thanks for showing up. Thank yeah, you. happy new year to you guys as well. All right, see you. And to everybody who you know watches and listens to the podcast as well, have a good 2021, everybody. There you go. Have a good one, Doug. Magic.